Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. If you've been with us the, the past few Sundays, you know that we are involved in a war. It's not a war that's fought in some distant land. It's a war that's fought right here on our home turf. It's a war that is being raged in our neighborhood. It's being raged in our workplace. And it's being raged in the very schools where we attend. It's a battle between good and a battle between evil. But it's also a battle that's raging down deep inside each one of us. To use the biblical term, there's two kingdoms. You have the kingdom of earth and you have the kingdom of heaven. We know what earth looks like because we live here. We know what's going on. Uh, We're not quite for sure we understand this thing called the kingdom of heaven. But it's revealed in every aspect of our lives, the way we live and the things we do. And one of the greatest aspects of this earthly kingdom that we live in is called desire. We desire what other people have. We want what other people have. And the weapons of mass destruction that are so evident in the world today are lust and greed. Those are the weapons that are hidden down deep inside of us, and at any moment, they are waiting to explode like a landmine that we trip and we set off. The weapons of mass destruction that are so evident in the world today are lust and greed. We set our sights on certain things that we cannot own, that we cannot possess, that do not belong to us. And what happens, it winds up affecting our marriages. It affects our friendships. It it affects our, our children. It affects the promises that we have. It affects the contracts that we make. And our lives become full of lies. And the values that we once possessed, the values we once treasured, are thrown out the window. And cynicism reigns in the world in which we live. And basically, souls are stripped bare because they have nothing for which to live for or what to live with. But we're here today. At least I hope you're here today because we've caught a glimpse of another kingdom. We've caught a glimpse of something that's not of the earth, something that's not of the world, something that's different. At least that's why many of us are here. And the number one characteristic of the kingdom of God is not desire, but love. That is the number one characteristic. And this is a love that will last for all eternity. This is a love that you can build your life upon. It's a love that you can build your families on. It's a love that you can build every aspect of your life on. And basically, here it is. I'm going to give it to you in a nutshell, okay? In the end, when this world is over, love wins. That's it. When this world that we call home is over, love wins. And that love is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. So we are, we are here this morning because we want to win the war. We don't just want to win the war in the future. We want to win the war right now where we live. We want to win that war. And that's why you're here. You're asking this question. How are we going to win this war over lust and greed? How are we going to do it? What are we going to do? We've got to find a way that we can cut through the lust and we can cut through the greed. So I want to talk about winning the war for love. Open your Bibles to 1 John 
chapter 4. <coughs> we'll look at verse 7 and 8 first. And John is basically trying to outline to the people. He says, I know that you think you know what love is. You have an understanding of love, but let me really tell you what love is all about. And look at what John says in verses 7 and 8 of 1 John 4. He said, dear friends, he's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. You just kind of see what the theme is? It's love. Five times in that, those two verses, he uses the word love. He's trying to tell us what it is. And love is an interesting word. If you really stop and analyze it a little bit, it's an interesting word. Because we, we throw it around rather flippantly. Uh, perhaps you're like me. You say, you know, boy, I love Dallas Cowboy football. Or I love the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, you know, or, you know, I, uh, you know uh, or like me, I love Mexican food. I, that's the greatest American food ever invented was Mexican food. I, I love Mexican food. Some of you probably said this this week. I love mama. I love my wife. You see, we kind of throw it around, but surely there's a difference between Mexican food and mama. Uh, unless your mama cooks Mexican food, okay? <laughs> but surely there's a difference between Mexican food and mama. But you see, we use the same word for love to describe all these things. So we've kind of lost the meaning of what does it mean to love. They had the same problem in the, in, in the New Testament. When, when, the, when the writers of the New Testament was looking for a word, they have five words that they could have chose to use uh, in the Greek. The first word is the word eros. Eros. Can you think of a word that we might get from that word eros? Are you afraid to say it in church? It's called erotic love. Now we use it for romantic love. That's where the word comes from. You didn't know you were speaking Greek when you spoke that word, did you? The next word that could have been used was the word storge. Storge is a family love. It's a, fam it's a love that you have within the family. The next word is the phileo. It's a, a brotherly love. Uh, that's where we get the city Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's not the city of brotherly love, okay? But that's what it is. The next word that they had was the word quantania. This is a word that was used interchangeably throughout scriptures, and it means a love that's revealed in the community of faith. So they had all these words they could have chose. But when they looked at it, they said, those are not sufficient. So they chose another word. The word is agape. Agape is a divine love. It's something unique. It's something special. So when they were trying to find a word to describe this idea of the Christian love, the, the love that God has, this is a word they came up with, with agape love. It was a new word. Uh, and new words come up all the time. In our, in our dictionary, just this week I looked up some new words because we're always creating new words. This is some of the words that are, are, are prevalent today. This one is mansplain. That is a legitimately in the dictionary. This is what it means. Explaining something to someone, typically a woman, in a manner regarded as condescending or patronizing. All right. You know, don't get mad at me, it's in the dictionary. So it, it's kind of like, it's kinda like when, a, when a woman doesn't understand any, anything, the husband comes, let me explain it to you. Uh, that's mansplain, okay? Another one that they use is the word hangry. That is literally a word in the dictionary, and it's when somebody is, is, is angry because of uncontrolled hunger. Kind of makes you think of the Snickers commercial, doesn't it? 
uh, hangry. Or how about this one? The word snowflake. Snowflake has been in the dictionary for years and years and years. You know what it is. No snowflake is exactly alike. But now it has added an extra definition. This is what it says. A person mockingly characterized is overly sensitive or easily offended, especially one said to consider himself or herself entitled to special treatment or consideration. That's a snowflake. Got any snowflakes in here? No, don't raise your hand. Okay. Uh, and then another one that's always one of my personal favorites, yada, yada, yada. Yada, yada, yada means and so forth, so forth. Uh, those are words that 10 years ago they didn't exist, but now that they've made it into our vocabulary and we do it. It was the same way in the New Testament. When the New Testament writers were trying to find a word to explain love, they had to get outside of, of the normal realm and, and they found this, old, this word, agape. And they coined it, and they made it their own. Why did they do that? What made them change the vocabulary to add this word agape? Jesus. Jesus made them change. They looked at everything in the world. They looked at the love that Jesus had. He said, there is no word that describes what he did. So they came up with this love, agape love, a divine love that defies our ability to really understand it with the modern dictionary. That's what they did. It's an unconditional love that comes to earth from heaven and was received through Jesus Christ. Christ. And that's where the battle line is drawn, my friends. This is where you draw the battle line. If you're going to win this thing we call love, it's going to have to be decided in Jesus. He's the one that separates it. He's the one that's going to help us win the war. This love is very different than what we're used to looking at. This love is very different than what we're used to to experiencing. There is this brand X type of love that's out there. And basically at the core of this brand X type of love is lust and greed. In other words, if you're good enough, I will love you. If you can do something for me, I will love you. If you can give me something in return, I will love you. The mentality of the world is I will love you if. I will love you if you would do something for me. I will love you if there's an advantage for me in this. In other words, what's in it for me? If I give my love to you, what's in it for me? You know what's beneath that? Lust and greed. We want something in return. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You see it all the time in the world in which you live. It's, kind of the, it's, that, it's that kind of love in the world that says if you're smart enough, if you're good enough, if you're popular enough, if you're successful enough, if you're attentive enough, or you can meet my needs, then I'll love you. I will love you. It's that kind of love that says, what can I get out of this relationship? What can I get out of this? And we spend our lives trying to convince people that I'm worthy of their love. We spend our lives trying to convince people that, that I'm someone you should care about. And we all, we all play this game, every one of us. Can I tell you that preachers play the game? You know, we play it all the time. Oftentimes as a pastor... Uh, I don't go to them as many as I used to, but I, you go to meetings and you go to conferences. And when you get there, you, you meet these guys and these, these, these pastors and they ask you this question, how's your church doing? That's code. That's code talk. They want to know, how's your budget? 
What kind of buildings you got? And how many baptisms have you had? That's what they want to know. And here's the, here's the gist of it. They want to know, said, said, are you worth me spending my time getting to talk to you? Is there something about you that's going to help me in the process? Can I learn something from you that's going to benefit me? Because if I'm not going to learn anything, I'm not going to waste my time with you. And we do it all the time. So here's what happens. Those of us that, that feel small, those of us that aren't real happy, say, well, you know, man, let me tell you about my church. Man, it, it stinks. Okay, no, we, we never say that. So what do we do? We embellish. We tell that we said, oh, it's doing great. And so we, we, we fudge statistics. We make things look better than they really are. Why do we do that? Because we want to be accepted. We want people to value us. We want people to say, this is a good relationship for me to have because there's something that you can offer me. And we do it all the time. And I know what you're saying. Oh, pastor, I'm so disappointed in you. Stick around. I'll disappoint you more, okay? <laughs> pastor, I'm so disappointed in you that you would even play the game. And can I tell you, you play the game every day of your life. You do the same thing. You know what you might do? It might be your investment portfolio because, because my investment is better than everybody else's. Or maybe it's, it's the title that you have at church. Oh, or not church, at work. I always hate it when they, when they ask me, I'll fill out a form, and it says, my name is Bruce Ward. And they said, what title do you prefer? I said, Bruce? You know, you know, you know, let's say, is it Mr., is it Reverend, is it Doctor? And, and so I always put down, your most high extreme doctor, Bruce Werner. Now, we play that game all the time. Or maybe it's the, it's the nameplate on, on your desk. You're telling people, value me, value me. I have something that's good for you. We do it all the time. We care what people think. Can I just tell you this? Can I, can I be honest? I'm sick of the game. I, I'm, I'm sick of it. I, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I don't want to do it. I want to move on to something bigger. I want to move on to, to, to something better. I, I want to move on to something that's worth investing my life. Something that really matters in the divine scheme of things. I want to make eternal investments where it really matters. And I know there are some of, some of you that think the same way. We can do that. It happened almost 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ came upon this earth and He said, I'm going to radically change the way you look at life. I'm going to radically change the way you have value in the world. I believe that many of you are here because you want another option too. You just don't want to go through the motions. You just don't want to keep doing the same old stuff over and over and over. You want to know that your life counts. That your life has meaning and that your life has purpose for something bigger than yourselves. I believe that's why you're here. You want to know about this agape love. You want to know about this kind of love that Jesus Christ revealed. The battle for love in your life is being fought every day. The question you have to ask yourself, what are you investing in? What are you investing in? Are you investing in generic brand X type love? Or are you investing in agape love? Look at verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. 
Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Here's what John is saying. Love is more than feelings. Love is something you demonstrate. Love is something you do. Love is an action verb. It reveals itself by the way you demonstrate it to others, by the way you love others. When we go out and meet needs without any expectation of getting anything in return, that's agape love. It's committing to someone. It's, it's lasting love. It's unselfish love. It's unconditional love. I'm going to do this regardless if I get anything back whatsoever. John Ortberg, I quoted him a couple of weeks ago, Christian author and pastor. He wrote a book, and he tells a story in it. Now, I don't normally read excerpts from a book, but it was so good that I wanted you to hear it from him and not from me because I would butcher it and get it all wrong because I'm not John Ortberg. Thank God he's not me either, okay? So let me, let me read this little story to you and see if we can, we can walk with this, okay? Pandy had lost most of her hair, one of her eyes, and one of her arms. She was my sister Barbie's favorite doll. She was not a very valuable doll. I don't think we could have given her away. She was not a very attractive doll. In fact, she was kind of a mess. But in a way that little kids do, for reasons that no one could quite understand, Barbie loved that little rag doll. She loved her with a love that was probably too strong for Pandy's own good. So when Barbie ate, Pandy was next to her. When Barbie slept, Pandy was next to her. When Barbie took a bath, Pandy was next to her. Love Barbie, love her rag doll. It's a package deal. Other dolls came and went. Pandy was family. In fact, this is how strong that love went. One time we took a vacation from Rockford, Illinois, which is where I grew up, up to Canada. And of course, Pandy went with us. When we came back home, we realized Pandy had not made the return trip. Pandy had stayed in the hotel back in Canada. No other option was thinkable. My father turned the car around and we drove from Rockford, Illinois to Canada to get that doll because we were a devoted family and we tracked Pandy down. The years went by and my sister Barbie grew up. She outgrew Pandy as little girls do. She traded her in for a boyfriend named, named Andy who oddly enough was even less attractive than the doll. <laughs> now Pandy had never been worth very much to start with. By now, she was so disfigured that the only logical thing to do was to trash her, get rid of her, which my mother could not bring herself to do. So she took that little rag doll and wrapped it very carefully in tissue, put her in a box, and stored her in an attic for many, many, many years. Now, when I was growing up, and you guys, you will relate to this, okay? Now, when I was growing up, I had a lot of toys and casual playthings, and my mom didn't save any of my stuff. But she saved Pandy. You know why? It's because Barbie loved that doll with a love that made that doll precious to anybody that loved Barbie. Love Barbie? Love her rag doll. It's a package deal. Now, my sister grew all the way up and eventually got married, not to Andy, but to a much more attractive man. She had three children of her own, two boys, and the last was a little girl named Courtney. Barbie decided it would be kind of a cool thing for Courtney to get the doll, Pandy. So Barbie went back to that attic in Rockford, Illinois, and got the doll down. 
by this time when she opened up the box, it was more rag than doll. My sister, who lives in San Diego, took Panty to a doll hospital. They actually have such places in California. Pandy went through reconstructive surgery. Pandy was finally as beautiful on the outside as she had always been in the eyes of the one who loved her. Barbie loved Pandy. She did not love Pandy because Pandy was beautiful. She loved her with a love that made Pandy beautiful. There is a kind of love in the world of what can we get out of it. But there's another kind of love. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the person sitting next to you. Go ahead. I want to see heads moving. Okay, quit looking at your spouse. Look at someone different, okay? Okay, now turn around and look at the people behind you. Just turn around, look at the people behind you. All right? You know what you see? You see a bunch of rag dolls. You see a bunch of rag dolls. That's what we are. We're rag dolls. That's who we are. And no matter how successful you are, how good you are at playing the game, there's always this inner sense of our raggedness within us. We're just not worthy. We just don't deserve it. You know what the Bible calls that? The Bible calls it sin. There's this sin that's deep down inside of us. Listen to the words of Isaiah 64, verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. He says, we're all just like ragdolls, every one of us. And we're on this treadmill that we call life. When we're trying to make sense of everything, and we're trying to get people to love us and, and people to care for us, the real problem is down deep in our heart. It's lust and it's greed that has twisted us into rags. And the cross of Jesus Christ is reconstructive surgery. And Jesus says, I'm going to come and I'm going to change you. Listen to the way he says it in John 15, verse 13. He says, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, he says it this way, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. And the reason he died, he wanted to get rid of that sin, that raggedness that is in your life. And this is how we're going to win the war, my friends. We're going to win the war through the love of Jesus. That's what's going to happen. And when you come to the cross of Christ and you say, Lord, I'm bringing nothing to you. I'm simply coming to you. That's when you begin the process. And there's two things that God asks of you or that Jesus asks of you. The first thing He asks of you is that you receive His love. You've got to receive His love. He's offering it. He's not going to make you take it. He says, it's here. It's yours if you want it. And then look at what he says in verse 11. He said, dear friends, since God so loved us, stop right there, since God so loved us, you would think the next thing he would say is love God. That's practical. Since God has loved us, 
we in turn are to love God. But that's not what he says. Look at what he says. He says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Here's what he's saying. Love me, love my rag dolls. Love me, love my rag dolls. It's a package deal. You can't say you love God if you don't love his rag dolls. You can't do it. Then look what he says in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. He's just saying, none of us in this room have ever seen God. If you say you have, we need to talk, okay? None of us have ever seen God, but you know what we've seen? We've seen his ragdolls. That he loves so much, so much. And he says, if you can't love these, how are you going to love me? If you can't love those you see, how are you going to love those that you don't see, the one you can't see? Love God, love his ragdolls. It's a package deal. There's no other way around it. He says, that's love. And so eventually you've got to make a decision. Are you going to invest your life in that kind of love? Or are you going to invest your life in that other type of love? The question is really between you and God. What are you going to do? What are you investing in? You know, in weddings, a lot of times we will read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love passage. You know what it says, love is patient, love is kind, yada, 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 yada. Okay? But what we forget is we forget to go back and look at the last verse of chapter 12. Matter of fact, it's often included with chapter 13, verse 1. This is what it says. Paul says, and now I want to show you the most excellent way. And then he breaks into his talk about love. Paul is saying, look, the world is going to tell you the most important thing is power, prestige, popularity. Paul says, but I'm going to show you something more important. He says, I'm going to show you what love is all about. I'm going to show you the most excellent way. He said, I want to show you what you need to devote your energy to. And if you do this, you hear me, if you devote your energy to that type of love, it is going to cost you. It is going to cost you in your life. The thing is, energy is what we have at our disposal. And learning how to love is really not that complicated of a thing. You know what the problem is? I mean, we do loving things all the time. We do it at home. We demonstrate it to our children. We demonstrate it to our parents. We demonstrate it to our friends. The problem is not love. The problem is we're too tired, we're too drained, or we're just too lazy to do it. And so we don't do it. But you see, if we're going to make a decision that I'm going to do this agape love, I'm going to demonstrate this agape love, it takes my energy and, and I have to put it into acts of love even when it's not convenient, even when it might be difficult or it even might be embarrassing. Let me share a couple of stories and then we'll close. My wife and I served as missionaries in Guatemala. We had a little boy that came to our children's ministry named Mime. Oh, we loved Mime. Now, Mime was about 11 or 12, and he, he uh, had an oxygen deprived at his birth, so he could not speak, he could not read, he could not write. But Mime was very faithful to come to everything we did. He was there, and he just loved us, loved us. Well, one night we were doing a, 
uh, a worship service at night in the little building where we met. And Mimi shows up. And I'm wearing a white shirt, you know, like I would often do there. And wearing, a, wearing jeans and a white shirt. And Mimi comes in. He is filthy. Not only is he filthy, he hasn't wiped his nose in a long time. And so we've got this green stuff coming out of his nose, okay? Y'all get the picture? Sarah, you get the picture? It's just full of no. You just want to take a little rag and wipe his nose? He didn't need a rag. He had my white shirt. He sat down the front row with me and reached over and just hugged me and just <laughs> rubbed his nose all my shirt. So when I got to speak, my little shirt had green all over it. You know what? I didn't care. But I loved that little boy. And at that time, Mimi was getting love that he had not seen in his life. But let me bring it more down home. Recently, I received a call from a lady who used to go to our church many years ago. She does not attend now. She's not on a roll. But a lady called me from New Jersey and said, I've got a friend at this facility, used to go to your church, and she's alone, and she has no one. And she had no, no family, no brothers, sisters, no nieces, no nephews, no children, no husband. All she had was her mom. Her mama passed away, and she sunk, in, and she sunk into depression. In the process of sinking into depression, she developed an illness, and she had to go to rehab for six months. And so I, I met up with her, and she said, in order for me to go home, I'm going to have to get my house. It's going to have to be adjusted for wheelchair, wheelchair accessible. And of course, me, the, I'm always volunteering people that don't want to be volunteered. Uh, I, I said, uh, I think we can help you with that. I have some guys in my church that they've done this before. I think we can help you with that. If that is something you would like for us to do, give me a call. I didn't hear from her again for several, several weeks, several months. I got a call. And she kind of said, I'd like to take you up on that offer. I said, okay, well, we'll do it. So I said, I'll go and do it. Now, she's been in the home for six months, okay? And she's a crazy cat lady, okay? I'm setting the stage for you. She's a crazy cat lady. The cats have been in the home for six months. Although somebody has come in periodically to feed the cats and to maybe change the box, the cats have decided this is their cat house, okay? <laughs> Rachel, you'll get over it, baby. <laughs> so uh, you can imagine the smell. So I called my good friend Bob Bellflower, my buddy Garrett Ellison. I said, we got to go make a house call. I prepared them as best I could, but there's nothing to prepare you for that. And we went in and we said, well, that's interesting. And we proceeded to change all the light bulbs in the house. We tore down her doors so she could get her walker and her wheelchair through. And we got that done. And we went back the next day and well, one person did, Bob did, and we put in a shower in her, for her uh, bathtub because she couldn't get in the shower. And then we eventually put handrails up for all this and, and asking what, can, what more can we do. And then she got in her house. Why did we do that? There's nothing in it for us. You know, she's not independently wealthy and going to increase the pastor's salary. We're not going to get a little offering. We're probably not going to get a dime from her. You know why we did it? Because agape love demonstrates itself through random acts of kindness. 
And that's why we did it. That's what agape love does. That's the point. You see, agape love reveals itself by the things we do for others. When Jesus wanted to know how, how can I love my people, He did not set up in heaven and talk about it. He demonstrated His love by giving His life for you and for me. So the question is, have you received the love of Christ in your heart? If you have, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to decide this week to get down and dirty and exhibit agape love to someone. That's your homework. I want you to demonstrate it in real, tangible ways. Don't think of yourself, because we're going to do that. We're going to think of ourselves before we think of others. Why do we do that? That's who we are. You know, lust, greed, is who we are. We're going to think of ourselves. Don't think of yourself, think of the other person. Now, here's what we're going to do. Praise team is going to come up. Y'all come on up. They're going to come up and lead us in a closing song, but we're going to do this a little bit differently than we normally do. Instead of y'all sitting back there and, and really enjoying the music and getting into it, we're going to stand, and then you're going to close your eyes, every one of you, and you're going to get a mental picture of the person you're going to help this week. Get that mental picture. And as Jeremy and the team leads us, you're going to pray a prayer and say, Lord, help me this week to demonstrate agape love to this individual that you're putting in my mind. And then here's the challenge. Then go and do it. It may be driving them to the store. It may be sending them a card. It may be making a phone call. It may be saying, hey, you want to go get a Coke? Go go get a cup of coffee. And just doing it. Nothing in it for you. It's about that person. I'm going to close this in prayer. You're going to stand. Let's go ahead and stand. I'm going to close this in prayer. Now, I do want you to know that if maybe you said, you know, I'd like to be a part of this thing we call love. I'd like to know about Jesus. We can tell you how to do that. I'm going to be here. Marcy will be up here in a little bit. Maybe there's somebody here, you know, you've been visiting our church and you decide, you know, I think I want to make, I want to invest my life in this church. We'd love to have you come and do that. We can tell you how to do that as well. We're not going to close it to opportunities for you to make a decision, but we want you to focus on that individual you're going to show agape love to. Let's bow our heads as I pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. We pray, Father, you speak to our hearts during the quietness of this moment. Father, help us to really see that person you want us to reach out to, to love and demonstrate true love to them. Bless each one that's here today, Father, and use them, Father, as agape love spreaders in Waco, Texas. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.